You've read or heard or preached the scripture this week. Now what? Join me, Pastor Carissa, and my colleague, Pastor Alan, as we explore the spaces between the Sundays in our podcast, Soft Idolatry. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 20 of Soft Idolatry. This is June 15th, 2020, and we are talking about our texts and sermons from yesterday, June 14th, 2020. Uh, Carissa, what were your texts and title for yesterday? So, uh, yeah, so this is unusual. We have traditionally recorded on uh, Thursday or Friday leading up to our sermons on Sunday, but this week we're recording on Monday and hopefully releasing on Monday. So we've already preached these sermons. And I, yesterday, preached from the lectionary text in Genesis 18 and then a few little bits in Genesis 21. But because we are trying to coordinate ourselves for um, an upcoming series on Revelation that we're going to be following uh, along together with, um, we've been talking a lot about the, the text that we're using leading up to that. And so I also used the text from Acts that I know that you used yesterday. Yes, and I used the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. It is not a story that everyone is familiar with, so would you like me to go ahead and read it? Uh, well, uh, what was your, your sermon title that went along with that? Oh, that yes, my, I, my sermon title, <laughs> gotcha. borrowed from Rogers and Hammerstein, was You've Got to Be Carefully Taught. I'm going to start keeping a spreadsheet of how many of your sermons ti- the titles are from songs and how many are not, because I'm just curious what the percentage is. My guess is it's around 85% song titles. Oh, I'd say it's much lower than that. Uh, if we go back <laughs> through the whole catalog, <laughs> oh, look, I'm using a recording industry <laughs> metaphor there. Uh, if, if we go back through the whole catalog, I think it's, it's a lot lower. I'm going to guess around 40%, which is still a lot. That's that's not insignificant, no. No. Um, mine was uncomfortable laughter. Hmm. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like the kind that you give every week at the end of the podcast after I uh, tell a dad joke. <laughs> puns. They're called puns. Why did we need a new word? We, we're actually adding syllables. <laughs> uh, you're not wrong. You're not mm-hmm. wrong. Okay. Thank you. I also, like, I am a mom, and I love a good pun, so why can't they be, yeah, Yeah, mom jokes? I like, yeah. I I accept your argument. Thank you. Against uh, the use of the term dad joke. Mm -hmm. So, do we want to um, read our texts, or shall we just trust our listeners to read them on their own? Oh, now that's a great question. Well, how about we do this? Since both of us are using narratives, mm-hmm. how about we each tell the story of our passage okay. and then let our reader or our readers, oh my gosh, where hmm. am I today? Let our listeners, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm writing a lot of papers right now, uh, let our listeners look those up and see how honest we have been to the stories. Fair enough. Yeah. You want to go first? Sure. So this is a wonderful, wonderful story. Um, 
the subheading in the NRSV is Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And we don't know for certain whether this is the Apostle Philip or a member of one of the new worshiping communities that the Apostles founded. Probably the latter. And Philip gets directed by the Holy Spirit to go south and take a road through the wilderness. And that should always catch our attention, that wilderness reference. Uh, The road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And on the way, he meets a man who is riding in a chariot, and uh, this man is from Ethiopia, and he is a eunuch. And so Philip gets in the chariot with the Ethiopian eunuch, and uh, Philip notices that the man is reading from a scroll. And that scroll is from the prophet Isaiah. And... Uh, the, the story also tells us that the, um, the Ethiopian eunuch is the treasurer for the queen of Ethiopia, and that he had been in Jerusalem to worship. So they, are, they decide to ride together for a while, and the, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch uh, reads a passage from the scripture, And uh, that passage is, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And then the eunuch asks Philip what this means. Is the prophet writing about himself or about someone else? And then Philip shares the good news of Jesus Christ with the eunuch. And the eunuch says, hey, what would stop us from getting me baptized into this new faith you're talking about? And so they find some water, and Philip baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch, and he is now included in all of God's promises. And that's the end of the story. Uh, it's, it's a really, really powerful story about who is included in God's promises. And the short answer to that is everyone. Preach. Yes. I really love that passage. And you know that there has been for centuries, since the very beginning of the Christian mu- movement, there's been a very powerful Christian church in Ethiopia. And the Ethiopian church lore traces it back to this man now whether that is you know church lore of any brand is completely historically accurate or not is anybody's guess right but good way that was a nice way of putting it yes uh and and also in fact there were jewish communities uh though the a slightly different brand of judaism there were jewish communities in northwestern Ethiopia, dating back perhaps as far as the time of King Solomon. So uh, there was already a Jewish diaspora long before Jesus. Yes, yes. Um, And I think that that speaks to uh, where I went with, with both passages this past week in that we often read the scripture through the lens of the character that seems the most 
culturally familiar to us. Mm. And um, in the in a United States, in an American uh, view, um, we're both white Protestants. And so we have been raised to most identify with whoever the uh, most culturally white, most male character in the story is, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I was always told as a child this story from the eyes of Philip, the great evangelist. Mm -hmm. It never occurred to me that the point of the story might not necessarily be Philip's great evangelism, but that this Ethiopian man, with who doesn't even have a name in this passage... Mm -hmm. Um, that he might be the real hero of the story because he's reading scripture. He's being faithful despite being an outcast in a lot of ways. And he's so excited by the gospel, he jumps straight into the waters of baptism. And he's so important to God's plan that God sends someone like Philip to go evangelize him. Yeah, if I, if I had to nitpick with that at all, I might say the Holy Spirit is the hero of the story. But you're right in that um, the the Ethiopian is the more important character here. The 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 Holy Spirit, though it exists on its own, what is really important is how it stirs us to action when it dwells within us and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Though Philip is completely righteous, it is the Ethiopian man who really is the one who changes in this story and changes in a way that makes manifest, makes it clear to us just how good and gracious God is. Yeah, I don't mean that to say that Philip is not important in this story. No. At all. He's pretty cool. He he is definitely very cool. He is very much an instrument of the spirit, uh, an instrument of God's peace, without a Mm -hmm. doubt. Uh, But it is... It is the... So any story, any bit of literature is about change. And though Philip is the change agent, the, the change takes place in the eunuch and he's the interesting character in this story and one of the things you know I was talking about this with several people over the last week and the story is perhaps more powerful because the eunuch doesn't have a name because he doesn't have the name he is an everyman he could be anyone and that means that awful lot of people can read themselves into that story. And I think it's important for everyone to try to read themselves into the story from the perspective of the eunuch. Like, think about the times where you have been on the outside and needed someone to come say you matter. Uh, I encouraged people this week. I said, you know, I just told you not to read this through the eyes of Philip, but now I want you to go be Philip to the people around you. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. Go find, you know, go find others and tell them you matter no matter what society says. And uh, yeah, I think that that um, that's such a powerful, powerful message. Right. We can, even though I am a straight white male 
and am closer to the generic power structure in this society, there are definitely times when I have felt like an outsider, when I have been the least popular kid in the room. And while that is not the same as suffering uh, actual persecution for things that I can't control, my race, my gender, etc., it is at least the point of entry to say there are other people who are suffering too, and you need to see where you can connect with them and share stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that the point is um, using those times where you have felt excluded or outside as an entry to a conversation and sympathy. Mm-hmm. Well, and even with to empathy and sympathy rather than, you know, I've heard some people say, well, I've been an outsider because of this. Um, and using that as an excuse to other others, right? Yes. Like, uh, um, and, and I think that that's, that's the important nuance there is that we're using those experiences as, empathy and sympathy starter points as ways to find the compassion rather than ways to justify remaining silent or right and, sit, and the, just sitting happily in our privilege the opposite impulse is also dangerous and uh has misinformed mission for uh, a couple hundred years in that we can we can say oh i'm I'm bringing the light of civilization into dark places, and that is absolutely not what an apostle does. Um, an apostle shares stories and mm-hmm. uh, takes time to sit with people and listen and uh, relate as an equal. And that's really the key. Uh, you you absolutely bring that out correctly. Um, It's not just about teaching when someone hasn't asked you to teach. Yeah, I think I even said in in, uh, my sermon yesterday, um, something along the lines of this story is not about Philip imparting his great wisdom upon the Ethiopian eunuch. Right. Uh, Because it's not. No, no. Yeah. So, so tell me a little bit more about your story from Genesis. So I, I did interact an awful lot with this passage from Acts, but the passage in Genesis that I uh, worked with this week is from Genesis 18 and 21. Skips over a little bit uh, because it tells the story of um, three messengers who come to visit Abraham. And in the heat of the, the day, Abraham is sitting uh, at the door of his tent, which is where you're not back in the, the muggy, dank uh, depths of the tent in the desert heat, but you're uh, also shaded a bit, so you're getting a little bit of shade and breeze. And as he's sitting there uh, escaping the heat of the day, he sees three messengers, well, three men. He doesn't know they're messengers, just three visitors, and immediately goes into hospitality mode. Um, setting his wife and servants to preparing a meal for them. And after the meal is prepared, um, he is standing with them under the, the tree by his tent as they eat. 
and they they give him this message that his wife, who is way past childbearing years, um, as is Abraham, um, the narrative says that Abraham is 99 and Sarah is 89. It's questionable whether they still counted age the same way we do now or not, but either way, they were too old to be having babies, <laughs> for sure. And uh, they tell Abraham, when we come back and, and see you again in a year, your wife, Sarah, will have a baby. And Sarah, who is now, after helping prepare this meal, his wife, is is sitting near the door of the tent, probably for the same reasons Abraham was at the beginning of this passage, to catch the breeze and stay out of the heat as much as she can. And she hears her name in this conversation, and so she listens. And uh, she laughs when she hears God say this. And she says, I'm an old lady. I can't, I can't have children at this point in my life. And God says, Sarah, why are you laughing? I can do whatever I want. I'm God. I do what I want to do. And um, the past, then when you skip over to chapter 21, you see that indeed Sarah does become pregnant and bear Abraham a son. And I, th- I feel like the powerful part of this passage, if we want to talk about looking through different lenses, is uh, I was, as a child, always taught, not explicitly, but implicitly taught to read this passage as the great faithful Abraham, who takes care of God's messengers and listens to this powerful message from God, and his not as faithful wife, Sarah, who laughs at God's face mm. after eavesdropping on a conversation. <laughs> There's always that like implication that Sarah was purposely eavesdropping. And I'm not sure why, because the text doesn't indicate she was purposely eavesdropping. Um, and I think if we look at this more through Sarah's eyes, though, she's a Middle Eastern woman five, 10,000 years ago. Who, who knows exactly, but a long, long, long time ago. And women had absolutely no social capital whatsoever, except for their ability to bear sons for their husbands. And she hadn't been able to do that. So she's like at the absolute outside edges of society. And God gives her the same message that God gives the Ethiopian eunuch through Philip. You matter. Mm. I have plans for you. You're going to make a difference. And I've laughed at God plenty of times when God has said something ridiculous to me. And um, so just looking at it through the eyes of um, it wasn't necessarily a faithless response that Sarah had, but rather one of incredulity. Mm -hmm. A eunuch and a barren woman given the same message. Yes, that those are points of connection. Those are powerful points of connection. Um, you know, the, the eunuch is an outsider in a number of ways. As a, as, as a eunuch, uh, he was someone who had been castrated, which meant that in the ancient world, he was neither male, male nor female, and he would have been an object of scorn and derision. It also meant that he could not enter a synagogue or or the temple at Jerusalem. He was ritually unclean by virtue of the fact that he was a eunuch. And uh, 
Uh, I don't want to delve into all of the citations there, but if any of you have questions about where that is in Scripture, just drop us an email and we will get back to you with those citations. Um, so he was go- always going to be excluded uh, from full participation in the community and in the covenant. And he was still faithful. He still wanted to go to Jerusalem and worship, even knowing that he was second class at best. And the idea that in and through Christ, we are all full participants in God's promises, God's covenants, is a really powerful story. And that's good teaching. You have to be carefully taught to understand difficult things like that scroll from Isaiah that he was trying to work through on his own. You also have to be carefully taught bad things. And I think both of us have been, both Carissa and I have been wrestling with the bad things and how we unteach those things to our congregations. Yeah, and that that can make for some uncomfortable conversations. <laughs> yes, it can. And the the thing is, we as pastors, and I I know you also practice this. We as pastors have to go there when it's uncomfortable because if we don't go to the uncomfortable places, nothing is going to change. And as we have seen over the last several weeks, there are some really intolerable situations in our society right now. And this was an opportunity to talk more about the the murder of George Floyd and the deaths of many other young black men in our society, some at the hands of police, some not. And it has to do on a fundamental structural level with implicit bias and how we see the other. And that's what we need to learn to unsee. And that's really hard to do. It challenges our identity. It challenges what we know about ourselves and the world around us. And that can be really shaking. That can be really, really hard. Um, I had a great, great conversation with someone today who I'm not going to name and I'm not going to get too specific because I don't want to throw, throw them under the bus or make them uncomfortable. But um, it, it was a, a great conversation spurred by these feelings of discomfort with um, having to question what we've been taught growing up, right? We were taught that um, slavery ended, Martin Luther King made a good speech, Racist laws were obliterated, and now racism's gone. And we can all be colorblind now. And we're seeing now that that's not true. We can't be colorblind. Um, That's not faithful. And we have to confront these things. And that is really difficult, and it shatters the worldview that many of us have grown up with. It also shatters the view of well, I just want to go to church and be inspired. I want happy, uplifting sermons. 
I've definitely been told that before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was not told that today, actually. Mm -hmm. This was a really great conversation with someone who genuinely wants to talk about these things. And I think a whole Bible study might come out of this, Ooh. which is fantastic. Um, and I'm so proud of this brave individual for... For First of all, for just being vulnerable enough to come to me and say, I'm struggling with this. Can we talk about it? Um, and, and for being willing to say, yeah, I think we should talk about this more. But yeah, I've definitely had other people say, I, I would just want to be inspired mm -hmm. by church. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry, that's not my job. <laughs> <laughs> that's the job of the Holy Spirit. Let me introduce you. <laughs> I've yeah, now that's my new line. I like that. I'm going to get that on a t-shirt. It's not my job to inspire you. Let me introduce you to the Holy Spirit. I have That's going to be the soft idolatry marketing t-shirt, Alan. I We're going to get on that. I have my moments. <laughs> um Yeah, to, yeah totally this, go ahead. totally the work of the Holy Spirit and uh, again We've had this conversation before, but part of certainly I will I will state and own this, but I suspect that you are pretty much on the same page. One of the issues with the church is that we haven't had these uncomfortable conversations. We have avoided them. We have avoided the hard work. We have avoided challenging our congregations because we didn't want to uh, trouble the waters. We didn't want big donors to stop giving money to the church. We didn't want people to walk out in our services. So we've always been, we, meaning clergy, have always been a little gun shy with some difficult topics and we're we're seeing the rewards of that. We're re reaping those fruits. And yeah, perhaps people would have left churches sooner. Then again, perhaps other people would have stayed. And uh you know, we'll 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 never know what might have been, but if nothing else, we it feels like we've hit a tipping point at which we can no longer say that's someone else's problem, that's someone else's reality. We can no longer say, oh, it's just a few bad apples in a couple police departments. We, all of us, all of us white people, have a problem with how we see people who don't look like us. All of us have this problem. If we want to call ourselves Christians, we have to learn to unsee the things we've been taught to see so that we can see the image of God in everyone and live into the call to love God and love neighbor, period. There's no real exception on those. And we try, oh, do we try to make exceptions to, to that second part in particular, to love your neighbor as yourself. And we as preachers cannot drop the ball and point out that, you know what, as humans, we don't do so good on that second command 
to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And mm-hmm. no, not every sermon needs to preach about structural racism and the image of God. But if we fail to put that message out there sometimes, then we offer a lot of what Dietrich Bonhoeffer would call cheap grace. Yes. I just finished a class last week with Herbert Barbary, who wrote Pillars of Cloud and Pillars of Fire, which is kind of a history of um, black civil rights leaders. And uh, one of the things he said this past week that really stuck out to me was silence is not a position of neutrality. It is not a position of faith. It is a position of privilege. And when people talk about white privilege, if that ruffles your feathers, (laughs) that is not an accusation of your character being flawed. All that means is that you have been able to remain silent or you have the the ability to remain silent if you choose. You have that choice about matters of race because it doesn't directly affect you. Yeah, and as, as pastors, we always have the opportunity to remain silent. That is part of our privilege. And, uh... You know, I I have to commit myself to not... I have to commit myself to speaking the truth, even if it might make me uncomfortable and it might make my congregation uncomfortable to hear it. Yep. It is not our job to inspire. (laughs) It's our job to challenge ourselves first mm-hmm. uh, and one another as colleagues mm-hmm. and uh, our congregations yep and it's our job to love them as we love ourselves yes it's our job to teach them at least in the presbyterian church yes and it's our job to speak the truth as revealed in jesus christ Yes. And, um, you know, a couple of the things that I said to this person as, as we chatted was, um, um, I hope you know that I love you and there's nothing you could say or do that could make me not love you. And um, first, as a pastor, it was such so nice to hear the person respond with, I know that. <laughs> um, because that's what, I mean, we're here to love our congregations. We may not inspire, but we are here to love. And so to know that that love has come through is really great. And I think that that is the foundation for being able to have difficult conversations like that. If they aren't grounded in love, they're not going to happen or they're not going to be productive. Amen. Um, yeah. This is hard stuff, guys, and it's okay to feel icky about it. It's okay to be uncomfortable. Um, It's all right to own the fact that this is really hard and that this is really sensitive. You're going to hurt feelings when you talk about this. You're going to hurt somebody's feelings somewhere. Um, You're going to hurt a white friend's feelings by saying something about white privilege you may 
hurt a black friend's feelings um, by not owning your white privilege fully or by not seeing the struggles that they've been going through. Um, it's deeply painful to live a life that is um, full of these microaggressions and systemic racism and to have white people who know and love you not notice that. Well, I think that's all that I've got today. <laughs> How about you? <laughs> I, 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 I've been preaching this, um, and I am, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I, I, I think that we're not going to be ending here with this. This is going to be coming up in future podcasts for certain. Um, some more, yeah. Without a doubt. Alan, would you like to offer a prayer and a blessing, and then I will uh, give our folks a fond farewell? Gladly. God of grace and mercy, we ask that you open our eyes and ears and hearts to all the people around us. We pray that you take away our hearts of stone and give us hearts for love alone. Purge us of our indifference, our complacency, and our tolerance for racism around us. Send us your Holy Spirit so that we may mend the breaches in our society. Equip us to heal the divisions and take up the work of reconciliation. Now, may God, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole. Put you together, spirit, soul, and body. May God encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good word and deed. Amen. Amen. Thank you, friends, for joining us for another episode of Soft Idolatry. You can find out more about us and the show at www.softidolatry.com. You can uh, email us at info at softidolatry.com. You can also connect to us on Facebook and Patreon. Uh, gets show notes and more at our website. Alan, I drove down to the church yesterday to, to drop some things off, and there was a hawk sitting right on top of the steeple of the church. And it took me a little while, but I realized why he was sitting there. Do tell. He was a bird of prey. You're going to have to do some penance for that one, Carissa. <laughs> We're not Catholic. We don't do penance. <laughs> You're going to have to do some work of reconciliation for that one, Carissa. <laughs> I'm not sorry. <laughs> Until next week, friends. Until next week. Thanks for joining us on Soft Idolatry. For show notes and more information, check us out at softidolatry.com. To send us questions or comments, you can email us at info at softidolatry.com. And if you'd really like to help support this podcast, please become a patron at www.patreon.com. 
That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com. Thanks.